This is Curiosity, where WDET, the NPR station in Detroit, finds answers to your questions about everything Detroit. I'm Laura Herberg. In this episode, we're going to do a little forest bathing, first in Detroit and then later on in East Lansing. It all started because we received a question about Palmer Park, the third largest park in Detroit, located between six and seven mile roads on Woodward Avenue. The question came from Detroiter Douglas Cook. For years, you would always see the forest. And so I always wondered about the trees here. So my question is, is this a virgin forest or woodlands? To determine whether or not the forest in Palmer Park is virgin, AKA untouched by man, WDET turned to Planet Detroit's Nina Ignazic. Here's what she found. In the trails in the woods at Palmer Park, you're not far from busy Woodward Avenue, but all you can see is nature. Native tree species like sassafras, black gum, and flowering dogwood are everywhere. There's even a giant red oak, wider than two people can get their arms around. It's one of the big trees that made Douglas wonder if this was a virgin forest, untouched by humans. He and I are here with Dan Scarcilla, one of the founders of People for Palmer Park. The group banded together to save the park from city closure back in 2009. Since then, they've kept busy doing things like running cleanups and clearing trails. Scarcilla says you could get lost in here easily if you don't know your way around. There's eight miles of walking trails that crisscross, go up and down. That was really the amazing thing that this was here in the city. That was just, it just blew me away. The forest here is called Witherall Woods after U.S. Senator Thomas Witherall Palmer, who donated 140 acres to the city for a park in 1893, with the condition that the forest be preserved. Senator Palmer had inherited 80 of those acres from his grandfather, Michigan politician and judge James Witherall, who was appointed by President Thomas Jefferson as one of the judges of the Supreme Court for the Territory of Michigan in 1808. And then the city as they built up the neighborhood around, they added parcels of land to it. And then the park became around 300 acres of parkland. As we get deeper into the woods, the trail starts climbing in elevation. This is just kind of the topography that I was talking about of this, the ridge of this yeah. old lake shore. There's a shallow drop off behind us now as we reach high ground. Dan tells us that we're ascending a beach ridge formed at the end of the last ice age. It marks the shoreline of ancient Lake Maumee, an ancestor of Lake Erie, that formed about 14,000 years ago when mile-thick glaciers began to melt away. This diverse topography is one reason why there are so many different native species here. And all of this history makes it seem like maybe Douglas was onto something. Perhaps this is a virgin forest. It turns out there are some trees here that experts think are hundreds of years old. And when you Google it, you'll find a couple blog posts that say Palmer Park is indeed a virgin forest, but they don't cite their sources. And Scarcilla says they're wrong. This area has been altered by man. There has been some logging, illegal logging. I've seen newspaper clippings from the early 1900s where people came in here and took some specific types of wood. We've also had some illegal logging in the last 10 years with people coming in and taking specific trees out of here. Because of this logging and the fact that there are trails running through these woods, Scarcilla says Palmer Park should not be called a virgin forest. But if you think I've just answered Douglas's question, hold on a second. 
Richard Kobe is the chair of the Department of Forestry at Michigan State University, and he says a growing number of forest ecologists like himself are hesitant to call anything a virgin forest. There's no such thing as a virgin forest or something that's been untouched by, by humans. Just about every area of the earth has had some kind of human settlement, even in the Amazon. Kobe says indigenous people built elevated passageways through the Amazon forest to connect their villages. And here in Michigan, native peoples would often go into the woods like these to tap sugar maple trees. All of this is to say the idea of Palmer Park being a virgin forest is out. But it clearly has some very old trees. So can we call it an old growth forest? Once again, it's a little complicated. It turns out forestry experts don't agree on the definition of old growth either. Landscape architect David Yoka, who's done work in Palmer Park, says old-growth trees should be at least 250 years old. And by his definition, he's not sure Palmer Park's trees fit the bill. I, I don't think I'd use the term old-growth because that implies, like, pre-settlement trees, pre-Western settlement. But, Yoka says, Palmer Park's forest is still noteworthy. It is a remnant woodland in that it's never been, that area of the park has never been uh, altered uh, for development or, or plowed or uh, significantly modified. This is part of the reason why Yoka is working with people for Palmer Park and the city to develop a plan to save this forest. The native plants here are at risk of being taken over by invasive species from Europe and Asia, like garlic mustard, honeysuckle, and buckthorn. Yoka's plans will remove these intrusive plants through controlled burns and other methods. The goal? to restore these woods to a state more closely resembling their early condition. And that means soon, the woods here will look even more like the area Senator Palmer and his grandfather roamed more than a century ago. That was Planet Detroit's Nina Ignazic reporting for WDET. She answered a question submitted on our website by listener Douglas Cook. We are very interested in your reaction to this episode of Curiosity. Have you been to the woods in Palmer Park? If so, what did you think of them? Or maybe there are other trails that are your favorite in the Detroit metro area. Tell us and we might feature your feedback in a future episode of Curiosity. You can leave us a voicemail or record a voice memo on your phone and email it to us. We'll tell you how to do it in the show notes. Coming up, we'll venture into an indisputable old growth forest located about an hour and a half from Detroit. These trunks are huge. I think I probably couldn't put my arms around them. <laughs> right, so circumference would be more than nine feet. More than nine feet, wow. But first, we've got to take a quick break. I'm Ian DeLisi. I'm Rob Reinhardt. And we're about to bring back the perfect opportunity to honor your favorite pet and support WDET. During our spring fundraiser, Ann and I will combine our shows so you can honor your dog. Or your cat. Or your dog. And WDET with a gift of support. We're looking forward to hearing about your pets, no matter what kind of cat that is. Cats and dogs and any other pet you may have will be part of our fundraiser. And if you can't wait till the weekend, make your gift now at WDET.org slash give. Or call 800-959-9338. So after Nina's reporting, I wanted to see if there were any old growth forests in the Detroit area. So I asked Richard Kobe, the chairperson of the Department of Forestry at Michigan State University, who you heard from in her story. And Kobe told me about a forest located right on MSU's campus. It's called Toomey Woodlot, 
It was purchased by a family, the Bennetts, in the 1850s. They used it for firewood, but they never did any large-scale logging or animal grazing, and they never plowed it. MSU bought it from them in 1939 and left it pretty much untouched. Toomey has old growth, so I went there with Kobe to check it out. Wow, so how would you describe what we're walking into right now? We're in a, a cleared area. And grass is as tall as me. Yeah, but some, some tracks, animals or people have been coming through here. And we will soon be under cover of trees. See, notice just the dramatic change here as we come from the open and into the forest. Yeah, we're gonna duck through a little tree here. So there aren't gonna be trails through here, so we're gonna be walking just through the trees as we get back farther to that, that core area where the old growth is. This is sugar maple. So the, the typical leaf that you'd see like on the Canadian flag. It's kind of everywhere, um, just a few inches to a couple feet in size to I'm sure many feet in size, but it, it's kind of dotting the forest floor. I feel bad ste kind of stepping on all of it. <laughs> <laughs> there, um, there are plenty of them and we know that not all of them are gonna make it to the canopy. How high up would you say this canopy is? Oh, these trees are, let's see, they're probably 70 or 80 feet tall. I think they could be an eight-story building. Okay, so as we are going back here, you're probably noticing that there, we have these larger trees, and so uh, these, these sugar maple trees with the, the rougher bark, they could easily be um, 200 to 300 years old. And one way that you can tell that they grew up in a forest is that they don't, don't have any limbs down low because those limbs were, were shaded and the trees grew up very straight and they lost those side branches because they were shaded and the trees weren't getting any, any benefit. Their leaves weren't capturing any sunlight. So they kept investing in growing tall and uh, going, going towards the sky, going towards the, the sunlight. This other uh, tree here behind you is American beech that has the smooth bark. And both of these species, sugar maple and American beech would characterize old growth forests in this area, for northern hardwoods at least. Wow, they truly are. I mean, these trunks are huge. I think I probably couldn't put my arms around them. <laughs> right, so circumference would be more than nine feet. More than nine feet, wow. So for um, the sugar maple and beech, characterizing uh, old growth forests, at, at least of this, in this area, 
The, the reason why is because those are species that are what we call very shade tolerant. So you see that they're able to live in this dark understory. If I were to bring a light meter out here, we probably would only be getting about 1% of the total possible sunlight is actually coming through this, this thick canopy. And sugar maple and beech are the species around here that can tolerate that. And so as a forest develops over time and the shade in, is, is heavy in the understory, those are, it's, it's seedlings and saplings of those species that can live there. And then like we see here, we have a, a large tree uh, die and it creates an opening in the canopy. And it's the, it's the species that have seedlings and saplings present already that can take advantage of that, that open space. Ah, oh, that makes sense. And yes, it is so shaded and there's only like little tiny spotlights of sunlight kind of here and there. And they're called uh, sunflex. Sunflex, I love that. A good term. Yeah, it looks like there must have been a recent hole around here because all these guys have tiny little trunks that probably, uh, gosh, about the size of like a, a shovel pole. Yep, like the handle on a shovel about that diameter. But the surprising thing is because these are such shade tolerant trees, they can stay in the understory and grow very slowly. So this little tree that you see here, this, this could be 40 years old. Wow. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? Yes. How old do you think the oldest tree is in here? And you can hear the hawk in the background as well. <laughs> a, good, a good habitat for hawks with the open fields uh, around here. The, the oldest trees, we're probably looking at trees that are at least 300 years old possibly as old as 500 years old. Another thing that's characteristic of old growth forests is uh, a micro topography of like little, little hills, little mounds and, and, and valleys. And, uh, and that's an, you don't see it real clearly here. You can kind of see, you know, an undulating surface. And that's a, um, in some areas, it's a lot more prominent. Uh, but that's an indication that this land had not been cleared and plowed, which would have made everything even. And where that, that, that micro scale topography comes from is what we see here, where you see that tree that, that fell over and pulled up its root mass with a, with a, with a bunch of soil. And so, 30 years down the road, there's going to be a little mound of soil there where that root ball came up out of the ground when that tree died. And then right next to it, there's going to be a little, a little valley. And so if that's repeated enough over time, and you don't have agriculture taking place in an area like this, you're going to get what's called that pit and mound topography. Wow, so in a way, it's almost like they're the tombstones of, of the trees that died before. Yeah, you can look at, that, you can look at it in that way. It's, it is the signature of, of a previous life there, right? It's the ghost of that tree. 
I think that one thing that surprises people about old, old growth is that it, it probably doesn't look that different from other forests. It's more subtle, right? That if, if, you, if you see that there are some scattered really big trees and you see that the ground is more uneven with, with little hills and, and, and valleys, uh, that's the signature of the, of the trees that were there before, then those are good, good subtle hints that you're in an older, old growth forest. Tumi Woodlot was actually designated a national natural landmark by the National Park Service in 1976. It's an extremely rare example of an undisturbed beech maple forest. While the woodlot is certainly remarkable, Kobe told me on our walk that it doesn't represent the oldest trees in Michigan. He says there are cedar trees on the chalk cliffs of Lake Superior that are 1,000 years old or more. But because it's such a harsh growing environment, they aren't that much bigger than your typical Christmas trees. The oldest trees in America are found in California. The bristlecone pine trees there are more than 2,000 years old. All right, we are about to wrap this thing up, but before we do, I wanna remind you that you can actually submit your very own question to us and we might answer it for you in a future episode of Curiosity. Tell us what's got you curious about Detroit by going to wdet.org slash curious. I'll put the link in the show notes along with the info on how you can give us feedback about this episode. Thanks so much for listening to Curiosity. I'm Laura Herberg, and I edited and produced this episode. Thanks to Douglas Cook for asking his question and to Planet Detroit's Nina Ignazic for reporting the answer. Mastering for this episode was done by Sam Bobian. Our music is by Will Sessions. Special thanks to David Lyons for production support. Jerome Vaughn is the WDET News Director. Our digital team is Dorothy Hernandez, Sophia Joswiak, and Dave Kim. We'll catch you next time. And until then, keep your eyes and ears open. You never know when you'll come across a good curiosity question here in Detroit.